are listening to KRUI 89.7 Iowa City's Sound Alternative. This is Beach Drew Banter. I am Sam McCrory, and we are light a couple members of the Beach Drew Banter crew today. All I have with me is Eli Boone and Vale. Molly Bagnall is out at Vertical Cinema. As is Kai Swanson. As is Kai Swanson. Kai Swanson helps organize those. Yeah. So, uh, I'm always yeah, there in attendance, yeah. but that's a cool event. Yeah. Um, Virtual uh, Cinema goes on. The this Department of Cinematic Arts puts it on. Largely um, run by MFA students. Yep. And uh, yeah. Um, that's yeah. going to be probably, I think this is the first one, right? I'm, I feel like there was one other, but it, 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 it first it, or second one. It often co- coincides with um, the one that the department runs, which I'm blanking on the name of right now. Whoops. Uh, but yeah, experimental screening fest uh, series that runs all throughout the semester. Yeah, but we're going to be um, chit-chatting today on Bijou Banter. Eli and myself about two international films that were screened this week at Film Scene. The first one is Uncle Boone Me, who can recall his past lives. I think the most fun title to say we've talked about. I think like all all this week I've just been saying Uncle Boone Me because I think it's just, I think it's really fun yeah, it's to a, say. It's a title that I appreciate because it tells you what the movie is. Yeah. And then, yeah, that one played at the Bijou Horizon series on... Both of these were Horizon series. Yep, both these Horizons. um, The Wailing, which is the second film we're going to be talking about, plays plays as a kind of a... Not as as a double feature, but a double um, sponsorship by uh, Bijou Film Horizons and Bijou After Hours. So um, Bijou After After Hours played it last night at 11 Um, o'clock. We were talking about Uncle Boone Me. Who can recall his past lives? We'll probably just shorten it to Uncle Boone Me. A film by Apichat Pongwira Sethical, uh, who... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced... I, I looked this up a, a multiple times. It's pronounced Afi Chatfong Wira Sethakun. Afi. Afi, uh, yeah. Well, I got close enough, I think, for most <laughs> yeah. people looking at that for the first time. He likes to go by Joe because he's very compassionate towards <laughs> his uh, English-hindered fans and followers. Uh, he's been... In the game for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not his first film, but this was uh, kind of a breakout film for him among the non-film yeah, cognizanti. for sure. Uh, I think it won the Palme d'Or at yeah. Cannes. Uncle Boom Me is a 2010 um, Thai film who was is directed by Avi Chatfong Wira Sethakun, um, which is kind of a mouthful to say, but I think I nailed that. But yeah, 2010 film that did win the Palme d'Or at 2010 Cannes Film Festival. The first film from thailand to do so so kind of big accomplishment there the film doesn't really have a lot of kind of plot points but re- but basically what happens is uncle boon me um is the central character he has he's having i think he has kidney cancer or kidney failure one of those two and he is slowly declining into his death and he is recalling his past lives and his um deceased wife comes back and visits him and so does his son who is turned into some sort of ape man um, who's living in the forest, and eventually he goes into a cave and he dies. Yeah, and so this film brought a lot of recognition uh, to this director. Uh, it was a big international release. I think it's fair to say it has a fair amount of universal appeal. It's reminiscent of previous international cinemas throughout the post-war century that are uh, mystical narratively loose, visually stunning. I think what's interesting to me about this film is that it hits a lot of the notes that I feel are familiar in kind of big art house breakout foreign films, but it still feels very fresh. 
even though it's uh, diving into themes and even formal aspects with superimpositions, um, this film was shot on 16 millimeter uh, and it, 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 I don't know quite how to describe it. Not because I think the narrative is all that complex uh, or I think that even the images are too complex. You know, I, 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 as far as art house films go, I feel like this one is somewhat straightforward. It's a little slow at points, but it's, yeah. um, I mean, I, I think just looking at the general, <clears throat> kind of buzz around this film. I mean, this film is generally, I mean, it, it won Palm d'Or, which is yeah. arguably the greatest, the most maybe well-recognized international prize at a film festival, uh, at Cannes Film Festival. So, I mean, I know, I've heard a lot of, a lot of really good things about this. I'm going to let you talk about this first because I know you're a big fan of this movie. Yeah. I know a lot of people, especially in, the, I, think, I think Tom and... Kai, who were on the show last week, are also really big fans of this movie. So I'm going to let you kind of talk about that and maybe talk about some conversations you've had with other cinematic arts um, department in, department uh, yeah. teachers about what what they think of this film and what, what you think of this film. Yeah, I think there's two routes to go on it. I think there, there are things about this film that appeal to a critical and academic audience, and I can talk about that. But I also just think th- this is a film I'm very passionate about. This is a film that I remember when it came out, I was still in high school, and I didn't quite have the critical and cultural vocabulary to enunciate what I felt from this film. And so to revisit it on the big screen um, in this really intimate way at film scene was genuinely stunning. I don't think I, I still feel like this film is powerful and moving and different and weird in a way that few films are. It's a film that I genuinely think when I look at it, I think this is what cinema is all about. This is what it can be. This like, you know, there's the big capital Q question of is film art. And I tend to think, no, I tend to think it's better than art and it's worse than art and it's weirder than art and it's more intimate than art and it's stranger than art. And, and it's its whole own thing. And I think this film in particular is uh, diving into what makes this medium special. Yeah. I think that, you know, that when I saw it on Tuesday as part of the Horizon screenings, there's this one moment, once they've established that spirits and the dead are coming back and are going to be a fairly intimate and integral part of the film, there's a, there's a long take uh, where the camera's just kind of held back in the corner of the room while Uncle Boonmi is suffering from his kidney affliction and the spirit of his wife is just sitting over him and then they just do a simple cut and she's gone. And I heard someone audibly gasp behind me in the theater. <laughs> and it's it's these simple tricks, these these going back to the roots of what makes this medium special that I think ultimately m- make it as strong as it is. Yeah, I mean, I think your opinion on the film is drastically different than mine and i think what a lot of people who you know my age and who haven't had a lot of formal training in you know film theory and a lot of i mean to think the layman viewer a lot of the people are going to have an opinion of, of what i think of as you know it's you want kind of like a big thematic element to come out you want it to be a little more fast-paced and i, I don't know i i thought i i walked out of this movie i movies i don't understand movies i don't like mostly i i i under I always think after I'm done, I think, was this movie, is this, is this, am I missing something or am, especially movies yeah. that are, are critically loved. And I'm like, I always think, am I missing something or is this movie just not for me? Well, I think that's an understandable reaction. And I, mm-hmm. I would never say like, oh, you know, you, you just don't have the intellect yeah, to appreciate yeah. it. Or you're, you're a lower you're, class you're because cultured. you don't. Yeah. No, I think that this is a slower pace of film. Yeah. Um, It's 
it's not necessarily what I would call slow cinema, but it is it it does require a durational patience and acceptance on the part of the viewer. Yeah, maybe um, to Western eyes who are who are accustomed to a certain type of film, they wouldn't they'd be kind of yeah and old I, in this one. And I also think that narrationally there are interesting things that are happening, but this is not a film yeah. about what happened. This is not a film about uh, following plot points from A to B. Mm-hmm. This is a experiential yeah, I think, sequence yeah, of, think piece kind of. of impressions. And, uh, you know, not everyone is accustomed to viewing cinema in that way. But I, I will admit, there are plenty of films of akin with Uncle Boon Me that I do find irritating or that I do find test my patience. Like what? Or, oh, I would say, I mean, it's not, it's not fully comparable, but this is the same cinematographer who did Call Me By Your Name. And I thought Call Me By Your Name was just a dundering just cloddish bore that, uh, you know, I I, I I thought there was nothing really all that special about that. And I think this film is incredibly special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I tend to think that films that try to grapple with the big questions, with mortality and ethics. Reincarnation, and reincarnation all these things. Um, another film that I might compare this to would be a ghost story, which has come up on this show. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about yeah. going in this. And I, read... I don't, and I don't care for that film. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think like, you know, the this type of subject matter is a very handle with care issue for sure. And we don't, we, and, that, and maybe that's because we we don't see a lot of this kind of reincarnation, ghostly. Yeah. The, the more the more probably practical side of what ghosts, if they exist, are actually you know they're very tame. Yeah, well, and I think ultimately what's, what, I mean, I did not care for A Ghost Story. I don't think it's a terrible film. I just thought it was overrated and I, I didn't really understand the buzz around it. Mm-hmm. With Uncle Boon mm-hmm. Me, I think what's beautiful and remarkable about it is that it uses a combination of, <laughs> he just held up the DVD and it said beautiful and remarkable in big <laughs> quotes, like I'm Kaiser Soze at the end of Usual Suspects. I'm just picking things off the walls to say about the film. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I bet it was subliminal. Subliminal. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, what I, what I deeply appreciate about Uncle Boonby is that it goes through these phases. Uh, at certain points, it does like a Chris Marker La Jete thing, when it, where it becomes like a photo essay series. Yes, yes. Which I actually think is kind of better than La Jete. I, I, I think La Jete is pretty good, but I don't. It's not my favorite Chris Marker. I actually think he kind of out. Marker's marker with this particular <laughs> sequence. Um, it goes through all these different styles and feelings. And sometimes the way that ghosts are portrayed are through, uh, you know, these very traditional superimpositions and hard cuts that are just sort of the basic grammar of editing in the form. But other times he has these, these monkey spirits that are in these really extravagant practical costumes. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they're always just kind of watching. They're just kind of there. And he has, he really relishes these haunting shots of the red eyes peering out. Yeah. From I mean, forest. I think, I think that's probably one of the, the more admirable parts of this film is, is those, just these iconic. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of what I got about the whaling too, is the things I liked about this is, you know, when you, and you can take this away from the whaling there's some, both these films shot in Asian countries and just some of the just amazingly beautiful landscapes that are in these countries. But Especially, I would say I think they're shot in a very different style. Oh, I yeah, think, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I think part of what's so great about Uncle Boonby is that they do a lot of really low lighting cinematography. They do mm-hmm. a lot of what um, 
what the French would call reposer, which is traditionally you light the foreground more than you light the background. But in, in a lot of scenes in Uncle Boon Me, it's reversed. And you have uh, these black silhouettes that kind of mask the frame and you have to look through it to see what's in the background. And um, the cinematographer, whose name I'm forgetting right now, he's a, a wonderful cinematographer. We just watched Suspiria, which he also did. Um, quite quite different feature I'll again. Butcher this name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, he's he's a really great cinematographer, and he makes excellent use of sixteen millimeter. Um, but I, I actually I wanted. I, so Yumbu. Oh, Mukti Pram. Mukti Pram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to read a little bit about some of the visual aesthetics of this film from a little website called Wikipedia that, uh, that <laughs> film scholars like to go. I actually think this is a pretty interesting little passage. Uh, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, is the final installment in a multi-platform art project called Primitive. The project deals with the Isan region in Thailand's northeast, and in particular the village of Nabua in Nakhon Phnom, near the Laos border. Previous installments include a seven-part video installation and the two short films A Letter to Uncle Boonby and The Phantoms of Nabua, both of which premiered in 2009. The project deals with themes and memories, themes of memories, transformation, and extinction, and, touch, and touches on a violent 1965 crackdown on communist sympathizers in Nabua by the Thai army. Regarding the feature film's place within the overarching project, uh, Afichef Fogg has said that it, quote, echoes other works in the primitive installation, which is about this, this, which is about this land in Isad with a brutal history, but I'm not making a political film. It's more like a personal diary. According to Weira Sethakul, the film is primarily about, quote, objects and people that transform or hybridize. A central theme is the transformation and possible extinction of cinema itself. The film contains uh, six reels, each shot in a different cinematic style. The styles include, by the words of the director, old cinema and stiff acting and classical staging, documentary style, costume drama, and my kind of film, when you see long takes of animals <laughs> and people driving. Whereas Sethical further explained in an interview with Bangkok Post, quote, and, and this is like the really meaty quote that makes every cinema scholar's ears perk up. When you make a film about recollection and death, you realize that cinema is also facing death. Uncle Boon Me is one of the last pictures shot on film. Now everybody shoots in digital. It's my own little lamentation. And so both like mem memory and also the death of cinema are very like hot button issues in cinema studies. Yeah. And so I think he's like kind of wetting the palate of a lot of critical and, and, in and intellectual film types. But I also think that th this idea that he's sort of channeling his style in certain directions. Yeah. Is, I think that's very, very interesting. It's I, exciting. It's a filmmaker who's, it's really also a thing I think you wouldn't notice if you maybe, a majority of audiences wouldn't notice that he's doing these different, you know, standard acting documentary, his own style. They wouldn't notice unless they read that piece, I which is interesting. But I would say you do notice the costume period piece because the costume thing is very noticeable. Are you talking about the scene where with the princess? Yes, okay. that just kind of comes out of nowhere, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. And one of maybe one of Boon Mi's last previous lives. Yeah, and totally narratively extravagant. It has nothing really to do with what else has happened in the film, but I think a genuinely beautiful and kind of erotic and haunting scene that doesn't really yeah, uh, fall in. Doesn't fall in with anything else, but I think I think it's just one I think it's just kind of a it's, It lends flavor. Yeah. But I also think like and like this is where I'm going to get my most maybe verbose, but I think uh you know, I'm teaching introduction to, to film theory next semester and Andre Bazin used to write a lot about how 
cinema is inherently more interesting when it's got animals in it. And it's more <laughs> interesting when you have long takes that just sort of take in the landscape because the natural inclination of cameras is to just record reality, right? This is one way of looking at film. There are others who have written in other ways. But I do think this is a film that bores down to some of those components where I do tend to feel like when I'm watching a movie, even if it's like the opening of The Godfather mm-hmm. when he's just holding the kitten, everybody looks at that kitten because there's something undirected and uncontainable and somewhat truthful about it. Yeah, and I think we, especially we kind of touched on that a little bit also when we talked about Grizzly Man too. Yeah, where, where you there's... just are soaking in nature yes. in a way that only a camera can let you. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think like... Yeah, there's not a lot of movies we've really talked about this year. I mean, this movie doesn't have a lot of really... There's not a lot of scenes with animals in them, but the the main scene is the first scene with the like the ox, I believe. Is yeah. The, if I were to compare buffalo. this to any director yeah. that I'm familiar with... I wouldn't compare it to any East Asian directors. I would compare it to Fellini because Fellini is one of these directors who kind of moves from neorealism into films that focus on fantasy and artifice and Mm -hmm. these sort of bizarre flights of narrative fancy. Uh, And I don't think he's a particularly comparable filmmaker in terms of style or themes. Um, But I do feel like what's fascinating about Uncle Boonby is this kind of bizarre juncture that shifts back and forth between realism and total fantasy uh and and both of those aspects are sort of drawn out to their most heightened states where when it's realistic it's these long durational sequences where especially towards the end of the film when we're not exactly clear on what happened there's just these long shots of people in hotels um and uh or, or these long drawn out shots of nature but then when it's fantasy obviously uh you know it's a little more quicker yeah like especially with the scene with the the princess it's a little yeah yeah more conventional but i but i think um i don't know i i it's a film that i genuinely think is a masterpiece i think it i think it is up there with i think it's up like there's underwater shots that remind me of vigo's lot a lot there's these long tracking shots that feel like a tarkovsky thing i i genuinely think this is a director who's firing on all cylinders and is putting out something truly special yeah i think this is also a movie too where you're gonna get not uh, you're gonna get mixed messages about what the film is about from each and every single person. Sure. Yeah. yeah I believe it's a film where you know if if you went down the line of say ten or so people, and you know there are those ten or, ten or so people from all different backgrounds, you're gonna get people like me who are like, I don't understand what's going on, and maybe I'll never will. And you'll get some people who are like you who have, you know, grandioso ideas about about who maybe seen this a couple times. Probably, sure. yeah. yeah. And maybe you're going to get people who just, you know, love it for the nature, love it for the a little yeah. intricate I mean, sets that the, and like the princess scene and the kind of the scenes in the beginning where there's a little more dialogue, but. There's a lot of different ways to love cinema. Yeah. And I think. I think, yeah, this is a good one where you can, people can this take film, it or leave it. This film speaks to the way that I love cinema, I think. And, and. I don't think there are a whole lot of films that are quite like this. And there are a lot of films that try to capture this kind of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think it's exciting. I think it's deeply moving. Um, I don't think this is necessary. Like, you know, when you talk about what a film is about, I don't think this is necessarily a film that has a lot to say. No, it's not really about anything. It's not, you know, he says it's not a very political film. It's not it. uh, What it does have to say, it says so well. And I think that's what's important to me. I think it, it says death is a mystery. And 
we can try to grapple with it. We can recognize its forms and we can recognize how it informs our culture and ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's going to be kind of unaccountable and mm -hmm. unexplainable. And I really like that because I feel like often what I dislike about other films that try to tackle this subject matter is they try to explain it too much. Um, and so to just le let the mystery be, I think is the most beautiful thing you can do with a film. Yeah. Have you seen any of his other ones? I've heard Cemetery of the Splendor is very, very good. I know. I, I haven't actually. Um, but I, I know uh, uh, Tom speaks very highly of Tropical Malady, uh, which I think he watched pretty recently. Um, no, I would like to. I, 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 as I understand it, a lot of his other films are a little bit longer. Um, and this film clocks in at about, about a, an hour 50. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, uh, I think I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think this film runs its time beautifully. And I've complained about the length of other films at certain points. Certainly I'll, when we get to the next film. <laughs> certainly when we talked about Suspiria too. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, time is something that a film has to earn. And I think this film more than earns it. I don't think this film would be other, uh, you know, I would say, and this is probably something Sam would disagree with, I would enjoy this film even if it were a bit longer. Yeah. I think uh, I, I, I feel so enraptured in the space that. Yeah. That as someone, as created. someone who, uh, this, this would be great if Molly was here because Molly has been on the show with me for two years and she knows how I get, especially with films that are super long and have nothing to say because her, her favorite movie is John Dielman, which is I think close to three hours. It's, no, it's almost four, almost four hours yeah. and not a lot really going on. Not, it has, not, it has one thing to say. Yeah. One thing. So, I mean, I, I, I definitely like John Dielman. It's not my favorite, but I think like, you know, that's a case of durational cinema for sure. Oh, no for one, sure. No yeah, one yeah. would argue the point on that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this one, I think you, I think you hit on the head. It, it does. I think it does. It completes its message in a couple, in, in it's allotted time. And I think that that's a, maybe some, maybe one of the hardest things to do in cinema is, is yeah. Make a movie that is perfect on time. I thought Lady Bird did this amazing. <laughs> Very different film. I know, but, but, yeah, but we're no, talking about, talking yeah. about a movie that, that set its story in the correct amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly, We've all had the experience, regardless of what our standards of cinema are, mm -hmm. that we've been at a movie that we kind of liked, and then it kind of got on our nerves, and we were like, when's this going to wrap up? Yeah. Uh, and you can have that, whether it's a highly narrative-driven film or if it's a kind of sprawling art piece. Yeah. Um, I always say if, if, if I'm checking my watch more than twice during a movie... Maybe something's not right. I think uh, Jack Warner used to say uh, that he he didn't want to put his his name on anything that he called a three P movie because if he got up to P three <laughs> times, uh, it meant it was a bad film. Uh, that's that, funny. I think Tom was telling me that uh, <laughs> about a week ago because uh, that's what he that's how he felt about Suspiria. <laughs> I he, thought Suspiria was like a two P movie. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who who doesn't go to the bathroom a lot during movies, I I, I hate. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand how people can like get up and leave during movies. Oh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. I just. I'm. I always feel like I'm gonna miss something. Well, you don't have my body. <laughs> if you had my body, you would understand. Yeah, I'm um, one of those people, especially when I like when I watch uh, like sporting events too, where I have to watch the whole entire thing in case well, something. Sporting events is an even taller order depending on the sport. Well, I, you don't go to a lot of baseball games, I'm assuming. I, well, I do, but I think the sport. I, the that's a little different. But like okay. when I watch when I watch soccer, I don't want to leave the room I'm in because you know especially yeah. with movies too and movies you haven't seen before you never know what's gonna happen especially with a movie like Uncle Boon Me um, I mean saying that things happen in this movie is almost no like, not saying something uh, happened yeah, but, yeah. but I feel like missing a key 
image image yeah. element of the film um, I, I would certainly feel bad for anyone who got up to go to the bathroom and missed one of those shots of the monkey spirits yeah that's that's so pretty crazy it's so beautiful and <laughs> yeah it's on the cover of, if, if you look yeah, up I mean, uncle boomy it's gonna be the cover they it's gonna know. be the there was this awesome poster that chris ware made chris ware who's one of the preeminent independent uh comics artists uh working in america who did uh uh J- jimmy oh god is that so, the one that's on the I, in, on the Wiki, I think it's on the Wikipedia. It's it's so good. It's yeah, one of it's the crazy. it's one of the best posters I've ever seen in my life. It's so good. Um, and it's uh, Jimmy Corrigan, uh, the smartest kid on earth. That was the series that he did for a long time. And he he has this very intricate line style. And, uh, in some ways, I feel like it's kind of inappropriate because it's just like so different from how the film is oriented. The film is deeply naturalistic. Um, there's there's something so. Uh, splendidly unstructured about the whole thing, even though it, it's clearly coming from uh, a, a, a mind that is working through all these these sort of tricky themes. Um, but Chris Ware has this line style and this art, this this approach to creating form that is always very geometrical, and so it's a kind of bizarre meeting place between uh, two very different artistic styles. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I think I do think Uncle Boon Me is actually a good place to start for some people in terms of uh, artier, art cinema. I I don't think it's as inaccessible as, say, a Jean Dielman. Yes. I think think it's... it's the kind of film I, I got into foreign film and art cinema mostly through Fellini, and I think part of what appealed to me about that was that... um, it moved in narrative directions at points, but then it ultimately went somewhere that I think was more interesting for its purposes. Not that narrative is necessarily uninteresting, but that this was a director who sort of strings you along at first and then brings you in a wildly different direction. Mm -hmm. And it's that open-endedness and that kind of splendor on celluloid that I do worry we're going to miss out on. I don't want to be one of these alarmists who talks about cinema dying. I think things are always expanding and going in new and strange and wonderful directions. Yeah. But but I do think this kind of like elegy or lamentation that that where Sethical talks about in in that interview, um, the, you can sense that in the film in a very loving and tender way that doesn't feel alarmist or. Uh, overly dramatic. I think there's there's a a love of cinema operating behind the camera on this picture that really really elevates it. Yeah, I think that's gonna end our conversation on Uncle Boon Me. Um, longer title, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. Like I said, that is a 2010 um, Thai art drama film. Um, yeah, you can probably check that out. It is available at the University of Iowa Public Library. Um, I mean, I think you should check out. It's one of those movies, especially for me where maybe it warrants a second view. I think it also benefits from a view in the cinema. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it because yeah. I know you didn't get to. Yeah, I didn't um, get to get. But <clears throat> it it really, I think when you're kind of locked in in front of the screen, yeah. it's one of those films that really pulls you in. And this is also a, a very, not a young, not a very young director, but a young director who has some clout underneath his belt and held in a, and yeah. held in a higher regard in international cinema. And I think I'm pretty sure I've heard really good things about Cemetery of the Splendor. Is that more recent? Yes. Yeah. More. No, I mean, I'm 26, exci- 2015. I'm excited to see where, where he goes. Yeah. Um, Cause he certainly has a lot of backers here in the United States. Oh, now. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to take a little quick break and we're going to come back and talk about the whaling here on KRUI and on Bijou banter. We'll be right back. And we are back on Bijou banter here at KRUI FM 89.7. If you missed out on any other Bijou Banter episodes, go check us out on 
bijou.uiowa.edu. All the past episodes have been uploaded. You can check out the episode we did last week on the double on both Suspirias, the 77 version and the 2018 version, which is still at film scene today, probably in its last week here. I'm sticking with Suspiriae. Suspiriae. Yeah. Um, and then you can see all of our other ones back to when Bijou Bantered even started. So um, that's bijou.uiowa.edu. Go to blog or our podcast on that um, website, and you will see all of our past episodes from this year and in the years past. Some great ones. Um, Terry Gilliam came on the show a couple of years ago, and he was in town and, and chatted with um, our old co-host, Leah Vonderheide. Um, My old colleague. Yeah. I'm, what she's up to? What's she up to now? She is at Oberlin. Really? She has a position, a, a nice position there. We're all rooting for her. Yeah. Yeah. She's Leah, Leah Vonderheide, friend of the pod. Yeah. Um, ex Bijou Film Board um, executive director, too, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think she was, yes. she was executive director before I was here. So, yeah. Um, but the next film we're going to move into is The Wailing. This is a South Korean horror f- film, horror kind horror of thriller. Horror thriller film, 2016, directed by Na Hong Jin. Um, this played, like Eli said, uh, part of the Bijou After Hours program last night and also part of Bijou Horizons on Saturday morning. The Wailing, um, like I said, South Korean horror film. It really follows a policeman in a, in a mountain town in South Korea who, after a string of viruses and murder of murders in their town... Viral murders. Viral, not viral, yeah, but... Um, murders going viral. Yeah. Follows this, like, mysterious killings by um everybody everybody in the town um and then there's some form of talking of ghosts and demons in the town probably brought on by um a they call him um he does not have a name he they they refer to him as the japanese man so yeah yeah and we'll get into that later like i said in a film of all south the film of a korean town they refer to just a man as as a japanese man so definitely they also use the unfortunate word that uh yeah that you see in your old captain america comics that you'd like to forget about yeah so that that, we'll definitely get into that a little bit later um i kind of want to Give your what are your because you pitched this right for me. I did pitch this, yeah. I was on the recommendation of my colleague uh, Chang Min Yu, uh, who was also, yeah, who was also on the show as well. Yeah, he's been on the show in the past. Is he South Korean? No, he's not. He is from Taiwan, okay. Um, but uh, but he keeps abreast of of the East Asian markets in general. So go ahead and give me your like two minute rundown of things you liked, things you disliked about the film. I mean, uh, I think it's much longer than it needs to be, certainly, but I one thing that I have tended tended to find in South Korean cinema of late. Uh, and I don't want to generalize too much because it's frankly not a national cinema I'm too familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the films of uh, Bong Joon-ho, who did Snowpiercer and Okja. Okja, yeah. Um, two great in, films. Yeah, and in uh, Train to Busan, I, I, there's a genre sensibility that's quite different from how Americans approach genre because these are films that tend to oscillate between kind of goofball weirdo moments between characters who are like asleep on the job and like being a fat lazy oaf and then <laughs> super emotional yeah, this movie melodrama definitely... just like child death and and like uh, you know uh, uh, really good child performances oh in yeah general. i think that's i think the child's performances oh by the way I didn't, I didn't really mention that but the policeman's daughter is, uh, is, is was one of these people who gets infected and, and starts yeah. murdering people so yeah and and 
And I think in an American context, which is important because this film is now an option from Ridley Scott's uh, company to be adapted. Really? Uh, Yeah. Um, I would hate to see that. Yeah, I think it's going to be bad if it does come. (laughs) Um, Not that I super care for this film. I think it's fine. I think it's kind of funny and weird and emotional at points. Um, But I do think in general, the ability to code switch between melodrama and like outright tragedy and then like gory, hokey, zombie nonsense, and then silly stuff. The This director and a number of other South Korea directors are able to bridge those gaps very quickly in a way that doesn't feel forced or poorly executed. No, yeah. Which I don't think I really see anywhere in the United States. Yeah, Eli's talking, especially kind of giving give an example and kind of the, of what the, he's talking about. And there's a, there's a couple, obviously the, the main character is a police officer. And there's a couple scenes where the the, the police officer, are in a, are, like I mentioned, are in a small mountain town. And, you know, with any small, I don't want to say anything about small town police officers, but, you know, they're not FBI agents. Yeah. And, you know, there is some like they're kind donut of, eaters. There's kind they're of some oafish moments between yeah. these, these between two, him and his partner. Two, yeah. These two yeah. police officers. And then you go into like this, he leaves and then they go to this really drastic burning of the house moment where he's being chased by a zombie, like literally 30 seconds later. So, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think part of it comes down to performance, but I think there's also just the way that it's edited and written. I think mm-hmm. Na Hong, Hong Jin. Na Hong Jin. Yeah, correct. Na Hong Jin has has done a really good job of moving in and out of these different styles of yeah. storytelling in a way that doesn't feel forced or hokey. Uh, I do think, in terms of the performances, most people in this film are pretty good. Oh, I think this performance. I'm sorry. I think this movie is. I think is all of the other craziness that happens in this movie outshadows a lot of the great. Molly talked about last episode the body performance of the the dancer in Suspiria. There's a lot of really good body performances. I love this movie. A lot of characters are screaming. It's an appropriately titled film. The Wailing. Because yeah. people, not only are people screaming, they scream for a long time. Yeah, but um, back to my point about the 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 actors and I think the the, the film's craziness overshadows the actors. Because there's, you brought the child actress in in the film, in, incredible performance, body performance, subtlety of her. I think a lot of a lot of her lines are very subtly delivered, and I think they're really good. And I think just all around amazing performance. I, mean, she, I thought she was good before any of the bad stuff happens to her. Yeah, she's she's good as just kind of a cute kid who's yeah. not annoying, which is already pretty difficult yeah, yeah, to pull yeah. off. Yeah, um, but once she gets infected, she she does all this kind of yeah a lot of body contortions. contortions and a lot of yelling and screaming that that comes off very very jarring. Yeah, it's it, it. It would be funny if it were badly done, but it's not. No, it's it's, it's, yeah, it's genuinely quite disturbing. Yeah, and frightening. And then there's and, a um, some other. I'm trying to think of other great, other good actors. In this well, movie. I think the father does a, uh, The main character is quite yes. good. Uh, he sometimes comes off a little bit silly yeah. at points. Some when, facial expressions are a little bit. But silly. I think sometimes he's supposed to a little yeah. bit. You know, and one thing that I think. A big difference between this style of filmmaking where you're jumping between genres and an American style is that there's almost no musical cueing for how we're supposed to feel. No. Like, 
a lot of the time when you watch a action film or a tense thriller of some sort and there are comedy moments, like the Mission Impossible movies do this all the time, there's just kind of like plucky strings in the background whenever people are like having some kind of jovial conversation mm-hmm. to let you know that this is a pause from the dramatic sequence and Simon Pegg can say something silly and and then we can all move on and it'll just be kind of like Sims music in the background. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah. And here everything just kind of flows together in a way that's not realistic, but that is generically uh, appropriate and authentic. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's one of the major strengths of the film. The other thing that you mentioned earlier is that visually this film is all over the place because every so often we get these really impressively beautiful landscape shots that just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Like we said, the, the the movie, the film is set in this mountain town and, and sometimes they'll go up where the, um, where the, the Japanese character lives is up on this kind of mountain terrace home. And there's a really, the obviously I think maybe the scene we're both thinking about is where the scene where they're chasing him and then they come out off this cliff and it's just this vast. Yeah. They got this big bug eye lens. Oh, that like yeah. Really like takes it in. It's almost like one of those roller scope, like yeah. roller coaster simulation. And, and things. it's him just looking out over this vast landscape. I also think there's that really good scene towards the beginning that I genuinely thought was one of my favorite moments in the film where, um, he's just with his daughter and she's got the little bubble tea and he, he yeah they, they're sitting the, they're sitting on the river the daughter saw him having sex with his wife no no that he was I'm pretty sure he was cheating on his wife I thought that was his wife I don't think it was mm, okay no because why why would why would she be like I won't say anything oh I don't know I'm pretty sure he was cheating, he's on, his cheating wife. on his wife and she sees it and it's a weird moment in the film and it is another moment where it's like this is kind of funny but kind of sad and just yeah really out of because he buys her a lot of these gifts to like I think silence her a little bit and say not don't tell your mom that I'm cheating on you I would say that it's out of place except it does give us a good sense of the character and yeah. I, I don't know it's just these sort of non-narrative little moments at the beginning of the film that slowly kind of disappear but that whole scene where he's having this really uncomfortable conversation with his daughter yeah is shot in this like remarkably lit like gorgeous landscape yeah and uh, i don't know i i uh, there's a bit of a showy offy nature to some of the way that this film is executed that other times it's it's less evident uh, but in general, I just thought this film was kind of unpredictable, fun, a little bit problematic. Yeah, we'll um, get to that, yeah. But uh, but definitely worth watching. I wish it was about an hour shorter, but I don't yeah. I don't actually know what I would cut. So it's, Exactly, because there's like you said unpredictable, which is a good word. I, I, I use a little more uh, dumbed down word. It's just crazy. This movie's just nuts. It's, yeah, this, bonkers. this movie's bananas. <laughs> yeah. I, I think so much stuff happens. You're like, yeah, like this, the, the, among things that happen in this film, uh, he kills a dog with a pickaxe. Yeah. Uh, a man gets struck by lightning for no discernible Yeah, that reason. was a, re- a, re- a review I read where it was like, this movie is so crazy. The man who gets struck by lightning seems normal by the time you're done with yeah, this film. Yeah, uh, There is definitely one of the best exorcisms I think I've ever seen in a oh, movie. Oh, yeah, that's a really great scene. <laughs> the, the, the only time in this movie where it really feels like a genre piece, where it really feels like a movie, is when the shaman first shows up and he does get like a huge musical stinger and it feels like they're like player two has entered the arena because he, he's he gets this crazy entrance and then he performs one exorcism at like towards the beginning that doesn't feel that nuts and then the second exorcism he performs yeah. he's like covered in blood and just screaming all the time he's got these giant swords and he's like he's doing ritual sacrifices yeah. and it goes on for like he's 20 doing, minutes he's doing a death hex he's trying to he's trying to 
kill the main demon that's inside the policeman's and it, daughter. And, and, and that goes with like sacrificing a couple chickens and he's going to kill a goat at the end. Um, and he's driving these big wedges into this big stone. Yeah. And, and it's really well edited. To, oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's these... It's like cross-cut it against... What's well, these uh, two different spectacles? You have one that's like this hyper-maximalist, crazy, like almost like prop comedy, just insane exorcism. Yeah. And then this really good performance. Yeah, Nong Jin Hin's like, give him another item. He's like, give him another yeah, sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works. Like, it's this... No, ma- it's, it's, I think it's one of the best scenes of the film. And it keeps cutting back to this performance by the girl that we've already highlighted. Well, it cuts back to the performance by the girl. It also cuts back to the, to the performance of the, 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 Japanese, the unnamed Japanese man who is also, like, performing his own sort of little... Which, as we learn, is actually trying to protect her. Because he... Because the sh- this is the whole twist at the end of the film. Is he? But he the, the, the shaman realizes that the Japanese man was actually another shaman. But is there he to though? Fight. I think he loses and the demon takes him over. The I think ch- that's what's supposed to have happened at the end of the film. Oh, you think so? Yeah. The, it turns then, then out. What ha- the, okay. It turns the, out is, we're not supposed to be afraid of foreigners. We're supposed to be afraid of women. That's what the end of the movie is. Yeah. It, it, wait, so. Okay, we're, this could be highly spoilers while we're going forward. Because, spoilers and speculative because we don't actually know. Yeah, because it's kind of it's kind of unsaid. But I, what I thought happened was the shaman, the shaman and the Japanese man, they're working together. They're both part of the. They're both demons. No, but then why did the shaman just throw up all over the place and like squirt blood out of his face? Because he, but because he, the, the woman <laughs> ghost. <laughs> did that to him because they're both they're both demons. As you can tell, uh, I mean, we're coming off like a bunch of rubes right now. <laughs> like, but we, like, yeah. W- what actually no. happened in this film in a narrative sense doesn't really matter as much as the the thrill ride of like just being hooked in on these insane sequences. Oh yeah. Um, you didn't even mention the part of the scene where the zombie got like impaled by a a hoe or a no, it wasn't a, a hoe. Rake? It was like it was like a rake. It yeah, was a rake. Yeah. He gets impaled by a rake and then I mean, pulls it out of his that's head. That's honestly one of the more normal things that happens in the movie because like that you might expect to see in another zombie movie. Yeah. It's less about like, there's all these semantic components of other films. Like the idea that there would be an exorcism isn't in and of itself. All that surprising. The idea that, uh, someone might be struck by lightning and go to the hospital isn't necessarily surprising. It's the order that they're arranged in that's really bizarre because it never. You, yeah, you, it's not. It doesn't lead up to one specific event. It's like, oh, he got struck by lightning. Oh, yeah, there's. Yeah. It just feels like anything could happen at any given point, and especially because this film has such a downer ending. It's not. It's not a yeah. br- like like everybody dies. Yeah, everybody dies at the end of this movie. Everybody dies like crying and like like gets a long. See what I thought. What happened? Dying. No, what happened is the the woman ghost is telling the truth because she laid a trap for the shaman who's coming back to fully possess the girl. I think, and then the priest who is going to visit the Japanese man is like he he's the <laughs> devil, isn't he? It's so convoluted. He's and the devil. I I I understood it as the Japanese man. It, look, obviously there are long-standing tensions between Korea and Japan yes. that inform a large part of this movie. So when we say that the Japanese man is the devil, please understand that, that they refer to him as the Japanese man and the devil. Yeah. <laughs> point. Like, okay. Yeah. So let's get to that point. Basically, uh, what we're saying is that this Japanese man is living in this South Korean town. Eli's getting out there. If you don't know, there's a humongous tumultuous history between. 
Korea and Japan. Largely exacerbated by the Second World War, but, yes. but also way pre-existing that, go, oh, yeah. going back centuries, if not millennia. And they don't really address this about how, you know, this the whole town is kind of out for this Japanese man. And there's this, it's basically almost like it's so xenophobic. It's almost Frankenstein villagers yes. coming to smash the gate at yeah. certain points. And that's where... You know, I, I Including a, our hero. I, yeah. I read, a, I read a quote where the director, he's like, I'm not trying to to do this. He's, he's saying that, that the evil... Not the evil, but the... I forget what he said, but it's not just because they're from a different country. That the It shouldn't be that the antagonist is from a different country. It's that something that's... The antagonist is something you you can't understand. You need a translator to understand, which it, I think is, is I think is problematic. That's too. still like the definition of xenophobia is yes. fear of the other. So fear of something you can't I, understand. I guess my hope is that he actually is trying to fight the demon because then the message of the film becomes you were foolish for trying to hurt this foreign man who was actually trying to help you and not we should be afraid of people from the outside. Yeah, I, I don't know. I saw this. I was like, wow. And they, yeah, like like Eli said, they referred to him in a very old timey slang version yeah, of the Japanese. Yeah, they used a slur against him. So for the director to say this is not a film that's meant to insult people from Japan, d- does it? And like we said, they at the end the the Japanese man, I th- I be- they concur that he is <laughs> no he he is the devil. The, the the preacher comes in and he's like, "Are you the devil?" And he I'm says, like, to, I am myself, and he turns into the devil, I I'm think. willing to buy that, but I sure hope that I'm right, because <laughs> it makes the movie a little more palatable. Yeah. But, I, look, politics aside, I do think... Like, anyway, but, yeah, but, but, yeah, but they, they refer to this Japanese man as a demon, which isn't good in the, in, in the first rate, you know? Yeah, and I kind of interpreted it as the main reason why all these characters suffer is for their prejudice, that, yeah. that is, their prejudice I, and their sin is I what they get at. I think they're trying to get at that, but it's not the most well handled. That being said, the narrative and formal aspects are very well handled, I would say, for the most part. I think there is, as, a, as far as thrillers go, this movie totally succeeds because it does the main thing that a thriller is supposed to do, which is keep you asking what's going to happen. Yep. What what's is gonna going on next? next? Like, and I definitely felt invested in the father character. I definitely felt invested in the little girl. Um, pretty much all other women in this film are excommunicated to an incredibly periphery area. There's not really anything else going on with women in this film, uh, which is uh, perhaps maybe a a flaw because it feels like there are a lot of women kind of moving around in the background who have lives and things going on, but they're they're kind of just ignored. I think Uh, a lot of the women in the film too are also murdered. They're either murdered or... By men, which is... Or murder. (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, the only murderer who is a woman is the little girl, but... Uh, and the, the witch woman, the ghost witch woman... She doesn't murder anybody. I'm I, telling you, she's good. Okay, all right. She's wearing know. white. Why would she be bad? I thought that was like a, a, a red herring. Like, it was, she was supposed to think she looked good, but then she did the bad thing. This movie doesn't make sense, but it's all right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. As you can probably tell if you're listening, we're getting a little off the rails, but overall, this movie is crazy and narratively interesting yeah and there's a lot of really cool effects and a lot and really great acting but there are some core it's problems with its xenophobia and it's and the underdevelopment of its female characters it's bonkers to think of this film screening in competition at Cannes. did it i i 
maybe it wasn't in competition. Maybe it was, it was like a midnight it was one. Definitely a can, which is awesome. I mean, can can takes all sorts. I understand this, mm. but you know, whenever you see those, yeah, figures, out of competition, out of competition. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean. I, I I tend to think that the most interesting thing about this film is what I started with, which is this kind of interesting approach to genre that we don't really get in the United yeah, States. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I think I I saw a quote that said operating on a level that now Americans operating on a level that makes American cinema look unimaginative. I don't know about that. I don't think this film is like necessarily imaginative. It's just But I think that gets to your point about how it, it's, it's just it, going it's in a cycling different genres, yeah. Yeah, it's going in a really it has a very different approach from what I think we would expect out of our domestic cinema. Mm-hmm. Um versus which, maybe our domestic cinema picks something, maybe pick, obviously picks a genre and you know, we're going to stay to this core genre where this one is kind of yeah, all over the place. Yeah, I in mean, a good way. Well, like thinking ahead if Ridley Scott production company does make this movie for an American audience. I do think what's exciting and different and, and what makes this film worth watching is not anything that quote unquote happens in it. It's the way that it happens and the order that it's delivered to you in. And all of that I have to imagine will be lost in translation. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Ridley Scott has done horror stuff. I mean, he did alien, which, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Never mind. What? Uh, what are you looking Ringu at? Ringu isn't um Yeah, yeah, Ringu is Japanese. Ringu is Japanese, but yeah. that's another that's another uh example of a uh East Asian horror movie that had been adapted. Sure, oh, it happens uh, often. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not an adaptation, but Bong Joon-ho has has come over, or Bong Joon-ho has come over to the United States uh and made like Snowpiercer. And again, I think Snowpiercer Snowpiercer is a, is an oddly comparable film. If you haven't I seen think. Snowpiercer, go watch it. Yeah. Cuz it's insane. Exactly. It's like it narratively and stylistically has almost nothing in common with the wailing, but in terms of the feeling that I get as a viewer where I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah. This is insane, but not in a bad way. Like I'm hooked. I just don't know why. And I think Snowpiercer, and I mean, you brought up the point about how this movie is a little long. I think yeah. Snowpiercer is around two hours too. And, but also, but I feel like in the, the length of this movie Again, you brought the point. This movie's long; could be maybe an hour or less. But what do I take out? Exactly, exactly. And Snowpiercer, I feel the exact same way about Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, I think, it earns its length a little bit more just yes, because for it, sure. just because it's so rigorously structured mm-hmm. around moving through that that silly, silly train. <laughs> like, and again, Snowpiercer has the same thing where you have. Captain America Chris Evans talking about eating infants mm-hmm. at certain points and like not in a funny way. No. He's genuinely crying, sobbing as he talks about knowing but there, what but babies there are, like. But there are kind of funny scenes but where yeah, there's where the like whole the, Allison Pill scene, Pills scene yeah. in the in the train. And then there yeah, just moving through all of the Even Tilda Swin's character is a little kind of over the top silly. Yeah. And and it's that kind of childlike wonder with the form of genre and storytelling that I do think is just missing from the approach to like say a Fast and the Furious mm-hmm. where I don't think those are particularly bad films necessarily they're not like my favorite but you will have a kind of more predictable f- sort of we'll have the characters quip with each other a little bit and then they'll go do a bunch of action stuff and then like maybe one of them is in danger and they'll feel scared about it but it's all very contained and we all know what's going to happen I don't know what's going to happen in these movies and that's what's yeah. exciting about them yeah. is this this it's a different type of suspense. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think a lot of good suspense in an American form, I mean, think of someone like Hitchcock, we know exactly what will happen. It's just being held back from us. 
but here I genuinely just don't know what's going on. And ultimately, I think the main concern I have about an American adaptation of a film like this is that it'll try to tell me and I don't want to know. Yeah, way too much exposition or something, you know, and they try to... Yeah, yeah. It It is rare that you get a film as convoluted as this that doesn't have any exposition at all. Because mm-hmm. usually it's exposition that makes the film convoluted. And here it's just... <laughs> This 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 film may as well be called a series of unfortunate events because that's what it feels like. It is just yeah, just a constant uh, like uh, ball of tense, bizarre energy where you, even though you're familiar with the concept of a zombie or the concept of a ghost or the concept of an exorcism, you haven't seen them quite like this. <laughs> and I I think that's the real appeal of the film. Yeah, so that's gonna wrap up our conversation on the wailing. Like I said, that played last night a part of our Bijou After Hours program. It's on Netflix. And it is on Netflix. You can go check it out on Netflix. I watched it on Netflix. Um, definitely, maybe maybe want to go see. Like I said, th- like we kind of got at, this film is crazy. This film is unpredictable thriller. Um, if you if you if you can stomach some of the problems we've highlighted, yeah, definitely check it out. I, yeah. What I was gonna say. I, I mean, I don't think I. I don't think the the problematic elements in this film outweigh. You yeah. know, it's not like Suspiria where the problematic elements just detract you from the film. I mean, I, I think it's a personal choice about what. Yeah, what? Yeah, kind of got to see it for yourself. In my yeah, in my opinion, I don't think the the whole yeah the xenophobia I, rubbed me a little wrong, but it's not a, it's not like a walkout element. It's not a reason why I wouldn't recommend it's it. Fairly noticeable. Though. Oh, I think yeah. it's, I think it's. It it would be irresponsible of us not to put a flag on it. Of course. If we're reviewing it. But I agree that it was something that I kind of dinged at points for and moved on from. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I felt was like uh, irreconcilable about the film. Yeah. But other viewers may feel differently about that. And that's understandable. Yeah. Um, that's why we have these platforms to talk about them. Yeah, exactly. Just some upcoming Bijou and film scene programming. Coming up on Tuesday, a part of our Bijou Film Forum series is going to be The Watermelon oh. Woman, which is a movie we will be talking about a week from a week I from am now. So excited about this film! I'm so excited for you to see it. I'm excited for I, I, uh, if you're going to make it to one Bijou event this year, I think it should be that. I mean, you, yeah. should, you should make it to more than one event. <laughs> but I I truly think this film is something special, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, it'll be it's very well loved. Um, it's going to be a great panel Tuesday, 6 p.m. Um, Chris McMillan, who's uh, part of the Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies, he was on our panel for Queerama. He's come back. He always has amazing things to say. Um, Sam Kessie, part of the uh, oh, film department, is also going to be there. I know Sam. Yeah. I'm very happy. Yeah, I love Sam. And I believe those are the two who are going to be on great. the panel. So, yeah, she'll have great things to say. Yeah, too. it'll be a f- really, really fun panel, I think. And She hosted a great event last year with uh, the production designer from Black Panther. That was one of the best events. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. Seen. Oh, God, yeah. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now. But Coogan? No, Ryan Coogler is the director. Ryan Coogler's the director. Uh, yeah, uh, Rachel. I'm, I'll look it up really quick. Yeah. Uh, while he's looking that up, we're going to go over some, like I said, some quick, program, some quick programming events. Watermelon. Hannah, Hannah Beachler. Hannah Beachler. Yeah. She Production also did, designer. She of, also did Lemonade. Ooh. Yeah. No. She she is a hot commodity on uh, in Hollywood. She's she can she's been working on and I think she did Moonlight. She's like only working on super stellar stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Watermelon Woman. That's going to be six p.m. on Tuesday with panel followed following the event. That event is going to be free for students, not free for regular admission. 
Um, but definitely go check that one out. We're going to be talking about it here on Banter. I'm not sure what the um, After Hours movie is. is. Yeah, on our upcoming events on our Facebook page. It does not say. It doesn't say. The next one is... um, You should go. It'll probably be good. To Fong Wu, thanks for everything. Oh. Yeah. Which is... Julie Newmar. Yeah, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. I forgot the little ending there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anything else? What's the regular at Film Sane? Yeah. The, basically what came out, which the other movie we were talking about. Free Solo? Or? Yeah. Free Solo will probably be done on Thursday. So definitely go check out Free Solo while it's still there. Highly recommend for me. Um, but the other movie that just opened on Friday, though, that Friday that we will be talking about um, next Sunday is Beautiful Boy. So it'll be Beautiful Boy and Watermelon Woman. Beautiful Boy opened on Friday and we will um, be speaking about that. Can I say something? As Quickly. A, as a service to our listeners. Quickly. Um, I'm not particularly inclined to like that film, and you should take my opinion next week with a grain of salt because I do not think I'm going to like it. Okay. I'm Don't sorry. judge a book by its cover. I know. I, I know you shouldn't. And it's that movie is based on a book. Two books, actually. Ooh. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. How many films have been based on more than one book? Well, it's 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 one? based off the memoirs of right, the main characters. Right, two perspectives of the same thing. But, th- but it is interesting. I still don't particularly care to see this film. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, know, I know you shouldn't say that. I'm going to say it anyway. I, I do not care for this Timothy Chalamet. I do care for Steve Carell. Maybe it'll surprise me. Um, but uh, rather than pretend that I'm completely unbiased, I'd rather give the full truth, which is that I'm, I feel like this movie is going to be underwhelming. Okay. Um, so that Beautiful Boy will be continuing its run this week as well as Suspiria, which will probably also end on Thursday. So if you want to go check out Suspiria, Free Solo, and Beautiful Boy, those will all be playing um, throughout, at least through Thursday. Um, but can you ever forgive me the new um, Melissa McCarthy movie where she plays um, celebrity biographer Leah Israel is coming out on Friday. So if you want to go see that, definitely check it out. But those are the main movies that are be coming out. We're heading into scene. Oscar weeks. Yes, we are coming into Oscar months. So we're probably going to be talking about a lot more, maybe get some Oscar predictions coming up here. A lot of bait, a lot of chum in the water. <laughs> a lot of chum in the water. That's what I think this beautiful boy is. I'm sorry. You think so? I think it's ch- I think it's bait. I guess I look at that and I'm like, that's bait. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we will maybe talk about that next week about how, because a lot of these movies coming up, can you forgive me? Boy erased wildlife. Two boy beautiful, movies. Beautiful boy. You know, we last year it was all girls. That's true. Gone girls and uh, other girls. There were girls with different tattoos of varying sorts. Yes. Now, now it's, now it's all boys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, these movies coming up are definitely some Oscar movies that are why they're released now because they're they're trending trending Summer, for an you get Oscar. the blockbusters this is late the time fall, early winter you get you get the you get the your bu- blockbusters you get, the buzz so you get your oscar Bu- films baby yeah, buzzy stuff so definitely check us out next weekend on, on next week we will be here in show it is thanksgiving break we will be here in the studio talking about beautiful boy and the watermelon woman like i said if you missed any other bijou episodes go check us out on bijou.uio.edu go to blog or go to our podcast and you can check out all the old episodes um but for that we will say goodbye for eli boone and vale and sam mccrory we will see you guys next week